0: Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Well, we are more resilient than we ever thought we were, aren't we? Jesus Christ has not left the church, and He is with us, strengthening us. Well, this day we're going to start a series called Encounters with Jesus. And I've entitled this message, Come and See. But before we get in the message, let me talk to you about a post that I found online from a lady named Beverly Greer. It's a great reminder that we are free to see and interpret the world differently than the headlines that compete for our attention. In the words of her 87-year-old friend, we get to write our own headlines. Sometimes I just want to stop. I wanted all to stop. The talk of COVID and looting and brutality, I lose my way. I become convinced that this new normal is real life. Then I I met an 87-year-old man who talked about living through polio, diphtheria, Vietnam protests in the street, and yet is still enchanted with life. He seemed surprised when I said that 2020 must be especially challenging for him. No, he said slowly, looking me straight in the eyes. I learned a long time ago not to see the world through the printed headlines. I see the world through the people that surround me. I see the world with a realization that we love big Therefore, I just choose to write my own headlines. Husband loves wife today. Family drops everything to come to grandma's bedside. He patted my hand, Beverly said. Old man makes new friend. His words collide with my worries, freeing them from the tether that had been holding me so tight. They float away. I'm left with a renewed spirit. Now my headline reads Woman Overwhelmed by the Spirit of Kindness and Reminder that Our Capacity to Love is Never Ending. Well, what if we could write our own headlines? What would your headline say? Well, how about this? <laughs> Jesus changes lives. The gospel is true. Jesus proves he is who he says he is. Or how about this? I found Jesus. Come and see. Come and see. See, Jesus never left people the way he found them. His encounters while on earth changed people. And even now, Jesus comes in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of his grace and changes people's lives. The work of God is to move us to a place of belief in the one he sent to save us. That's what God is up to even now. He's doing that in this season as well. I think about one of the encounters we'll talk about later where Jesus turns the water into wine. He takes ordinary folk like water and he changes us into something far better than we could ever be on our own. God's best is yet to come for us. And in this message series, we're going to explore different encounters that people had with Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus or if you're seeking and wondering, we all have questions. Life is filled with questions. And actually, Jesus led most with questions than with statements. He asked all kinds of questions in the Gospels, about 700 questions if you count them. And I love this statement that Jesus didn't come to tell us the answers to the questions of life. He came to be the answer. He came to be the answer to the deepest questions that we have. It's a great season for us, this season of disruption, as some are calling it. Others call it interruption. And we hear words like pivot. We've got to pivot. We've got to to move. All these things have changed around us and reminded us how uncertain life can really be. It's a great time to ask important questions. And as a nation there are big questions out there. The deeper the question, the deeper the belief. How we answer those questions reflect what we really believe deep down inside. Either we get to make up our answers and make up our own meaning, our own significance of life. Or we allow the truth to supersede our opinions and our preferences. Now, that's a mouthful, so let me kind of back up a little bit. Yeah, when when you have to answer a question, you're going to answer it based on your personal history, your personal belief system. And the deeper the question, the deeper the beliefs. People have real questions. And the greatest one is always this. Is there any meaning to life? Is there any significance? Pastor and author Tim Keller hits the nail on the head when he says, If you come from insignificance, and when you die, you return to insignificant, then nothing is significant now. In other words, if you come from insignificance, there's no God, there's no creator, there's no heaven, there's no hell, above us only sky, imagine, and then when you die, you return to a place of insignificance, then there's no significance now. Well, that's deep. <laughs> if we're just here, no creator, and when we're done with life, we take our last breath and our heart beats this last time, and we go no place except in the ground or in the box, there's no significance in between. And, and for that to be more than just fiction... It has to be based on something more sturdy than my opinion or my, my feeling or my family history or origin. See, when Jesus dies on the cross and he rises again from the dead, we call that the gospel. And after he resurrects and he appears to over 500 people, the gospel spread like wildfire. The gospel was full of hope and encouragement. And one of Jesus closest friends. He even calls himself the one that Jesus loved. His name was John. He writes this biography of Jesus's life. And it begins in John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And it says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning." Now, if you have a Bible, you'll want to open to John chapter 1, because that's where we're going to be, or a Bible app, or another tab on your computer. But I'd like you to look at this chapter with me. Because when John writes, he says, boy, when it all started, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Jesus was there. Jesus, the Son, the part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the word that John used to describe Jesus is very important. Of course, English did not exist back when Jesus walked the planet. So John wrote most in a, in a common language of the day called Greek. And the word that he uses for word in the Greek is the word logos, L-O-G-O-S. And it meant something big. The word logos represented the meaning of life. Let me give you some of the definitions. Logic, logos, values, human purpose, and the source, get ready, of significance. In the beginning, the source of significance. In the beginning, the meaning of life. In the beginning, logic. In the beginning, values. In the beginning, human purpose, meaning that life already existed before you existed. If you're a note taker, you want to write this down, number one, life isn't just personally meaningful, it is meaningful because of a person. That's exactly what John is saying. Now, John is not a stranger to Jesus. He walked with Jesus, he saw the miracles of Jesus, and he met with Jesus after the resurrection of Christ, when his disciples thought he was dead and all significance that they had believed in was gone. The meaning of life was with God, John 1.1. The meaning of life was God. Life isn't just personally meaningful, it's meaningful because of a person. Life isn't an accident. You're not here by accident, you know this. See, meaning and significance in life are not created by us. We are created by Him, Jesus the Word, the meaning of life. Man, if you have to spend all your life trying to find some kind of significance that you can create, you will spend so much energy, and I will tell you this, at the end of your pursuit, you'll be holding an empty bag. There'll be nothing there. All of the people that encountered Jesus had to deal with the fact that he was the logos, the logos, the meaning of life. And he comes on the scene when the people of Israel want a rescuer. Again, they're under Roman oppression, and they want somebody to deliver them, to change their economy, to change their circumstances. A rescuer. Someone who would really radically shake things up because they're tired of the condition of their world, their government, their oppression, and they are skeptical. I want to read to you the account of two college age guys. (laughs) One named Philip, one named Nathan. Now, what you need to know about students of their day, while there were a few universities, we even know that the Apostle Paul went to one of the most prestigious Hebrew universities there was in his day. There were a few universities But mostly what you did was this. If you wanted to learn from someone, you attached yourself to them. Now, John the Baptist, who was a front-runner of Jesus, he had lots of students under him. You know, Philip nathaniel they wanted to learn about life so they attached themselves to him and one of these students of course was philip john chapter 1 verse 43 to 45 the next day jesus decided to leave for galilee finding and here he is philip and he said to him well let me persuade you on how to live your life no 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 he said follow me Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip is in. Jesus says, Philip, follow me. And Philip says, I'm in. I'm going to follow you. Now, he doesn't tell him, believe in me. Or obey me, that comes after. You you, you kind of think it might be like, would you believe in me? Then obey me, now follow me. No, it's backwards. Jesus does it backwards. Follow me, then obey me, then believe me. That's how he called people. Philip, boom, calling you, come, let's go. And Philip is in, he's convinced, and he wants his friend Nathaniel to come and check Jesus out to But as we'll see, Nathanael, he's not interested. John 1, 46 to 51, Nathanael's reply is, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asks. And here's the response of Philip. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael, asked Jesus, answered. I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, we don't know what he was doing under the fig tree, but Jesus saw him, and Jesus knew him when he was under the fig tree. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. How amazing. Whatever Jesus was able to tell him about being under the fig tree caused Nathanael to go, wow. Only God would know that I was under the fig tree and what I was doing there. But notice what he says. You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that, he added. On the onset of this message, I said when Jesus encounters people, he doesn't leave them the way he found them. He changes them. And he says, not only do you believe, that's great, but very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It could be that Nathanael was looking for someone to deliver him from Roman oppression. It could be that Nathanael was looking for a rabbi, a teacher. That's what the word means. Kind of like he was learning from John the Baptist. But Jesus says, listen, who I am is far beyond what you think. And what you will see someday is far greater than what you see now. Now, something strikes me so deep here that we have an obligation to tell our friends about Jesus. It's time to let others know that we have found the truth in Christ, the significance of our lives in Christ. Why? Because people share what they love with people they love. There are people with strong opinions today. They, they love their opinions, and boy, they'll share them with you. There are people who have hobbies or recipes. I know a few gals in our church on their Facebook page, how to you know, make a lot of great food with a little bit of money, and they'll put recipes on there all the time. I've checked it out and thought, wow, that's really great. But that's what they're passionate about, cooking and food. Others have tips and tricks and hacks and how you can do different things. They'll share that with you. Some want to share about sports teams and what they hope to become uh, the, 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 the best major league baseball team that are playing in empty stadiums right now or the greatest football team or whatever. Whatever you love, you will share with people that you love. And even though we're in a season of social distancing, I like this other phrase, personal distancing, because when we think of social distancing, we think of not being social or becoming antisocial. How about we start using this phrase, personal distancing? That's respectful. I'm not going to socially distance from you. I'm not going to stop connecting with you. I'm going to keep putting out messages and content, and our church is going to keep doing that. So how about we call it personal space or personal distancing? But the social side shouldn't stop. By the way, there are some of you today that are watching this message because someone invited you to do so. Some of you have shared the LFC pages with others. Some of you have shared, or some of you, thank God for you, have said, hey, I'm starting a watch party Let's watch this message together, and then you're talking about it after it's over. That's great. You can beat on the message, beat on the preacher, say, oh, I didn't like the color of his shirt. I don't care what you do, but get the message and come together and share it with others. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you shared Christ with someone? Hmm. Let me ask you a simple question. Who shared Christ with you? Everybody that I know that's come to Christ can tell you of a person who shared Christ with them. A Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a youth pastor, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a friend, someone on TV, it doesn't matter, but all of us can connect our salvation back to someone who shared the gospel with us. And Philip did what good friends do. He shared what he thought was good and helpful. He took Jesus Christ and said, I want you to come and see. I think it's fascinating. It's a great lesson that when Nathanael says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip doesn't argue with him. He just says, hey, would you come and see? Come and and read the, the story of Jesus. Come and allow the word of God to touch your heart, to, to, to change you from the inside out. Come and see for yourself the one who's changed my life. Nazareth, by the way, was an insignificant small village with low income. People were simply living off the land, the fertile land, barely paying their taxes. And here was one thing they wanted. Leave us alone. And so when Philip says, hey, come and meet Jesus, the, the, the one from Nazareth, Nathaniel says, I want nothing to do with anyone from that insignificant place. And by the way, he's the son of Joseph, a carpenter, a woodworker, in a very small little shop off the beaten path. Following someone from Nazareth is not anything you'd want to do. I've attached myself to someone from Nazareth. Now, Philip wasn't a better person because he believed sooner. And if you're a believer, you're not better than the rest of the world. You just follow the best person who ever came into our world, Jesus Christ. Nathanael wasn't a bad guy because, well, he was hesitant or skeptical. By the way, skepticism is not a bad thing. Skepticism can be healthy. It can lead us to more curious questions. Skepticism can become a horrible trait when it leads us to dismiss everything. Dismissiveness. Skepticism says that doesn't sound right. Dismissiveness says I'm not even going to listen to you. And by the way, there are Christians who don't want to listen to the viewpoints and ideals of others. I think the greatest thing we can do for someone is listen to their story. And rather than listening so we can respond, how about we listen so we can understand? I think Philip models that for us can anything good come from Nazareth? I'm not going to follow that guy. I don't want to believe in him. And Philip pleads with him at a friendship lever, hey, would would you come and see? Would you come and see? Now, I'm a pastor and people expect that I would say that the values of life come from Christianity. I mean, think about the values of life right now going on in our world. values of tolerance, human rights, the values of, of contending against racism, civility, forgiving our enemies rather than going after them, honoring the poor, praying for our enemies, treating the immigrants of our land with respect, dealing with the oppressed, caring for those who are ill. See, all of these are Christian values. Jesus Christ disrupted the world, how women were treated, how Jews and Samaritans got along, and how he came to to break down the wall between people. But you expect me to say that, you know, Christianity has changed the world. Let me read to you from an article back in 2010 from John Steinrucken, an American thinker. And his article is entitled, Secularism's... Ongoing debt to Christianity. Although I'm a secularist, atheist, if you will, I accept that the great majority of people would be morally and spiritually lost without religion. Can anyone seriously argue that crime and debauchery are not held in check by religion? Is it not comforting to live in a community where the rule of law and fairness are respected? Would such be likely if Christianity were not there to provide a moral compass to the great majority? Do we secularists not benefit out of all proportion from a morally responsible society? Succinctly put, Western civilization's survival, including the survival of the open secular thought, depends on the continuance within our society of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Now, you may want to ask him, why do people believe what they believe? Nathaniel, I want nothing to do with anyone from Nazareth. John Steinrucken, even though I don't believe in God, I'm grateful for Christianity for how it changes the values of the land I live in. I love Philip's response to Nathanael's dismissiveness. He doesn't get offended. He doesn't become argumentative. His juggler veins are not popping out of his face. He maintained his friendliness with his friend and reiterated his invitation. Let me tell you, number two, life is shared when we call people to come and see Jesus. Do you remember Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman, or we know her as the woman at the well. She had an encounter with Jesus and it changed her life. In John chapter 4, verse 29 and 30, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward Him. Philip says, come and see. The Samaritan woman says, come and see, come and see this man. See, Philip teaches us a great lesson on sharing our faith with others. It's not my responsibility to convince you. It's my responsibility to share what convinced me. Come and see. Now, it doesn't mean everybody needs to walk down your memory lane, how you came to Christ, I came to Christ when the band played or the choir sang or the preacher preached or five of us were sitting in the backyard around the fireside and we were talking we were making s'mores and talking about Jesus that's how we come to Christ everyone comes to Christ differently but everybody comes because they come and see and when Jesus saw Nathanael John 147 approaching he said of him Here truly is the Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under that fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Nathanael came and he discovered, he discovered something that Some of you probably already know. He discovered something that many of us know. And many of us have experienced. Jesus, how do you know me? (laughs) He never met Jesus. They had absolutely zero encounters together. And yet Jesus could immediately speak to him in a way that, that cut to his heart. You know what I know? The truth knows us before we know it. The very people that are seeking Jesus, and it might be you, the very people we're trying to bring to Christ, Jesus knows everything about them already. Something peculiar and powerful about the gospel, it exposes us from the inside out. I often say this, we, we, we come to read the Bible, and, and when we do, the Bible reads us. I can't tell you how many times people have said in church to me, or even online, sent in an email or a text message, that message was just for me today. That sermon was just for me today. And I chuckle in my heart. I didn't write it just for them. But somehow God took a word or a statement or a scripture and he applied it to their life. And as they heard the truth, they go, wow, he's talking to me. (laughs) How do I know this to be true? Because the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints, and marrow. It judges the thoughts, and catch this, the attitudes of the heart. It tests us. It tries us. Now again, we don't know what happened under that fig tree, and we really don't know everything that took Nathaniel from being dismissive to devoted, to where he says, Jesus, you are the Son of God, you are the Messiah. You are the answer that I've needed. You are the significance of my life. You are the logos, the meaning of life itself. It's very likely, Nathaniel thought, that Jesus would get him out of the jam he was in, that he would change all of his circumstances, but not change his eternity or not erase his sin and his guilt. I love again, John 1, verse 50 and 51, you will see greater things than that. And then he added, very truly I tell you, you'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, you're going to know that I'm God. Not just a rescuer, but a redeemer. Not just somebody to take your oppressive Roman government from you, but to take the devil himself and the pit of hell and the death that is a result of our sin away from you. I'm coming to change you from the inside out, Nathaniel. (laughs) It's very likely that Nathaniel was motivated to get from Jesus, not to get Jesus. But man, if ever there was a season for us to come to Jesus and to get him, to let him be our Savior and let him be our Lord, that we encounter him and allow him to change not just our circumstances, but change our lives, our attitude. In this season of disruption that none of us signed up for, there's an advantage that comes. It allows us to see things in a brand new light with new value. It forces us to look again at all the things we took for granted and all the things that we used to think were certain. And for those of us who are already following Jesus, I think you are about to discover a new confidence in Him. The Jesus that encounters you every single day wants to change you from the inside out. And for those of you who wouldn't yet describe yourselves as a follower of Christ, I've got a statement for you from the depth of my heart. And I believe if Philip were here, and if Jesus were on my other side, they would both say, come and see. Come and discover who Jesus is for yourself. Come and see the one who changed my life. And for those of you that have walked with Jesus a long time, could I encourage you to have a fresh encounter with Jesus. Tell others about him. Listen to their stories. Listen to the hurt in their heart. Listen to their lives that have been interrupted and disrupted. And then when the time is right, tell them about the one who gives your life significance and meaning. For his name is Jesus. Come and see. Lord God, I pray for each one today that we would come and see you like never before. For those that don't know you yet, that this would be a day of salvation, that they would believe you died on the cross and that you rose again from the dead. God, sometimes we want you because we want you to do for us, but Rather, would you come and transform us? We invite you to do your transforming work in our lives. And dear ones, if you have yet to give your life to Christ, please, I encourage you, come and see. Come and believe. He will change your life because he never leaves us the way he finds us. He'll forgive your sins, and he'll take your life and make it wider Than the snow, regardless of where you've been, what you've done, what you've thought, and what you've said. If this is your day to give your life to Christ, I encourage you to text "Decide Jesus" to five 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 eight eight eight. It's real simple, but it's a way you can confess that this is your day, that Christ died on the cross and He rose again from the dead, and I believe this. Decide Jesus to five five five. And if you have questions, when that response comes to your, your text, just go ahead and say, questions. I have questions. Or I'm curious. I want to find out more. And we'll invite you to come and to see. Thank you so much for being with us today. I hope you'll stay with us as we go through this series of encounters with Jesus. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.